Hello and welcome to another edition of Social Studies on the Go. Today we'll be talking about the struggle for liberty, module four, lesson four. But first, a joke, and this one is from Mr. Tabor. What language do billboards speak? Sign language. Here we go. Struggle for liberty. Supporting the war effort. George Washington's chief task as the Continental Army's commander-in-chief was to raise troops. During the war, more than 230,000 soldiers served in the Continental Army and another 145,000 enlisted in local militias. The typical soldier was young, often under the age of 16, and had little money or property. The Army offered low pay, harsh conditions, and a big chance of becoming a casualty. Yet the Patriots knew they were fighting for their homes and their freedom. Finding and keeping dedicated soldiers would be a constant challenge throughout the war. In time, the Continental Congress required states to supply soldiers. Men who could afford it often paid others, such as slaves or apprentices, to fight in their places. One question facing George Washington was whether to recruit African Americans. Many white Southerners, particularly wealthy planters, were against the idea and at first Washington banned African-Americans from serving. When the British promised freedom to any enslaved person who fought on their side, however, through Lord Dunmore's proclamation, thousands of African-Americans joined the British Army. In response, the Continental Army began to recruit free African-Americans to fight on their side. While men served as soldiers, many women ran farms and businesses. Others helped the Continental Army by raising money for supplies for making clothing. Women served as messengers, nurses, and spies. A man from Massachusetts noted, at every house, women and children are making cartridges, running bullets, and at the same time animating or encouraging their husbands and sons to fight. Perhaps the best known woman to fight in the war was Mary Ludwig Hayes. She was called Molly Pitcher because she brought water to the troops when her husband was wounded in a 1778 battle, she took his place loading cannons. Another woman, Deborah Sampson, dressed as a man and fought in several battles. Defeats and victories. As the revolution gathered steam, it became more deadly. At first, the Continental Army suffered a number, number of defeats. In time, though, the Patriots' patience began to pay off. Canada. In part because the army was short on supplies, many Patriot leaders favored fighting a defensive war. Others wanted to invade British-controlled Canada and make it the 14th colony. Patriot troops led by General Richard Montgomery captured Montreal in November 1775. The next major target was the city of Quebec. Benedict Arnold, now a general, led his troops north on a remarkable trek through the rough backcountry of Maine. He reached Quebec around the same time that Montreal fell to Montgomery. Since his first attempt to take the city failed, Arnold waited for Montgomery's troops to join his. Taking an immense chance, the combined armies attacked during a fierce blizzard on New Year's Eve. They were quickly defeated. The Americans had suffered a crushing loss and the Patriots' hopes of taking Canada faded. New York. New York City became the next battleground. General Washington, had moved his troops to New York expecting the British arrival. Sure enough, in June of 1776, a fleet of British ships 
approached New York Bay. And when we say next arrival, they had left Boston earlier. Led by General William Howe, the British forced the Continental Army off Long Island. Howe's 32,000 soldiers were much better equipped than Washington's 23,000 men, most of whom were militia. The Patriot General had to use all of his skills just to save his army. In a series of battles, Howe pounded the Continental Army, forcing it to retreat farther and farther. The Redcoats captured Patriots as well as supplies. Eventually, the British pushed Washington across the Hudson River into New Jersey. Howe's revenge for his defeat at Boston was complete. When Howe captured New York City, Chaim Solomon, a recent immigrant from Poland, stayed there and spied for the Patriots. He later used his skills as a banker to help fund the American Revolution. During the New York campaigns, a young Connecticut officer named Nathan Hale went behind the British lines to get secret information. Seized by the British with documents hidden in the soles of his shoes, Hale was ordered to be hanged. Before his execution, he is said to have declared, I regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. After the British gained control of New York City and Long Island, some patriots left those areas and the loyalist population grew. Many of those loyalists fled from other colonies. In the inland part of New York colony, however, the patriots still greatly outnumbered the loyalists. New Jersey. In November of 1776, the tattered Continental Army was on the run. Washington's remaining 6,000 men were tired and discouraged. The one-year contract for many of them would end on December 31st, New Year's Eve. Who would re-enlist in this losing army, and who would replace the soldiers who left? Washington's army was in danger of vanishing. Thinking the rebellion would end soon, Howe left New Jersey in the hands of soldiers from the German state of Hesse. The Hessians were mercenaries, foreign soldiers who fought not out of loyalty but for pay. On December 7th, Washington retreated across the Delaware into Pennsylvania. Even with 2,000 fresh troops, the Patriots were near the end. These are the times that try men's souls, wrote Thomas Paine in The American Crisis, a series of pamphlets he began publishing in late 1776. Paine wrote The American Crisis to inspire the patriots. He used loaded language, words that appealed to people's emotions to help strengthen the American soldiers' morale. Without a convincing victory, Washington knew he would lose his army. He decided to take a big chance and go on the offensive. The Americans would attack the Hessians at Trenton, New Jersey, crossing the Delaware. On Christmas night, 1776, with a winter storm lashing about them, Washington and 2,400 soldiers silently rode across the ice-clogged Delaware River. As morning broke, the men, short on supplies and many with no shoes, marched through the snow to reach the enemy camp at Trenton. The Hessians, having celebrated the holiday the night before of New Year's Eve, were fast asleep, or excuse me, Christmas, uh, were fast asleep when the Patriots sprang upon them. The <coughs> Battle of Trenton was an important Patriot victory. American soldiers took more than 900 prisoners. 
British General Cornwallis rushed to stop Washington as he marched northeast to Princeton. Real quickly, um, the leader of the Hessians had been warned that Washington was coming, and someone slipped him a note, but he never opened the note, and it was still in his jacket pocket when he was killed. British General Cornwallis rushed to stop Washington as he marched northeast to Princeton. On the night of January 2nd, 1777, the Patriots left their campfires burning, then silently slipped into the darkness and circled behind the British troops. In the morning, Washington attacked. A local resident witnessed it. The battle was plainly seen from our door, and the guns went off so quick and many together that they could not be numbered. Almost as soon as the firing was over, our house was filled and surrounded with Washington's men. As Washington watched the Redcoats flee Princeton, he cheered, It is a fine fox chase, my boys. Now, new soldiers joined the chase. Others re-enlisted. The army and the revolution was saved. Saratoga. The two quick defeats stung the British. In the spring of 1777, they wanted a victory. British General John Burgoyne decided to push through New York State and cut off New England from other colonies. The strategy required perfect timing. According to the plan, Burgoyne's army would invade from Canada, recapture Ticonderoga, and sweep south to Albany. General Howe in New York City would sail up to the Hudson River to meet them, strangling New England. Indeed, Burgoyne took Ticonderoga in early July and headed toward Albany. Here, the timing went wrong for the British. Unknown to Burgoyne, Howe had left New York, sailed up the Chesapeake, and captured Philadelphia. Delegates to the Continental Congress were forced to flee. Meanwhile, Burgoyne's army was bogged down in thick forests up in Saratoga. The Patriots had chopped down large trees and dammed rivers to create obstacles. All along the route, the militia swarmed out of nowhere to attack the Redcoats. As Burgoyne neared Saratoga, New York, he found himself surrounded. On October 17, 1777, he was forced to surrender his entire army to Horatio Gates. The Battle of Saratoga in New York was the turning point of the American Revolutionary War. It was the greatest victory yet for the American forces, and morale soared. Patriot James Thatcher wrote, This event will make one of the most brilliant pages of American history. Indeed. Help from people. Uh, excuse me. Help from Europe. The French and Indian War had drastically changed the balance of power in North America. The French and Spanish had lost a large expanse of valuable land to the British. Both countries were delighted to see their powerful rival experiencing trouble in its American colonies. The victory at Saratoga gave patriots something they had been desperately seeking, foreign help. Not surprisingly, it came from Britain's enemies, France and Spain. Even Britain's old ally, Holland, joined the fight on the side of the patriots. Two remarkable Europeans. The welfare of America is closely bound up with the welfare of mankind, declared a wealthy young Frenchman, the Marquis de Lafayette. Inspired by the ideas of the revolution, Lafayette bought his own ship and arrived in America in 1777. He brought with him a group of well-trained soldiers and volunteered to serve in the Continental Army himself without any pay. Lafayette spoke little English and never seen a battle. However, he quickly became a skillful commander, earning the title of Major General. Lafayette led 2,000 patriots to successfully pursue 6,000 redcoats throughout Virginia during the 1780 and 81 years. 
He gave $200,000 of his own money to support the revolution and wrote many letters home to powerful friends and family, asking for aid for the Patriot cause. In February 1778, another European came to serve heroically under Washington. Baron Frederick von Steuben, an experienced military officer from Prussia, led with a combination of respect and fear. He started training the American troops, focusing on basic military skills and drills. Soon he turned the Continental Army into a finely tuned fighting force, such as using bayonets. A historian called von Steuben's feat perhaps the most remarkable achievement in rapid military training in the history of the world. Help from France. Benjamin Franklin, a skilled and experienced diplomat, our BFF, had gone to France in 1776 to ask for support from King Louis XVI. Finally, the Battle of Saratoga in 1777 persuaded the French king that the colonists could win the war. Not until then did the king agree to an alliance with the patriots. In May of 1778... The Continental Congress ratified the Treaty of Support with France. The French had been helping the Patriots all along with supplies and ammunition. After the treaty became official, the French increased the level of supplies and agreed to provide soldiers and ships. The French naval support would be a key strategic ingredient in defeating the British. Help from Spain Spain, also a bitter enemy of Britain, joined the war in 1779. Bernardo de Galvez, the governor of Spanish Louisiana, became a key ally to the Patriots. Galvez gathered a small army of Spanish soldiers, French Americans, colonists, and Native Americans. Together, they made their way east from Louisiana. Galvez seized British posts all the way to Pensacola, Florida. The winter at Valley Forge. The entry of France and Spain into the war came at a crucial moment. The Continental Army was running low on food and clothing. In December of 1777, Washington settled his 12,000 men at Valley Forge, north of Philadelphia. To this day, the name of Valley Forge brings to mind suffering and courage. Yet no battles took place here. The only enemy was the brutal winter of 1777 and 1778. Washington's men lacked even the most basic protections against shin-deep snows. In spite of the general's repeated requests for supplies, conflicts over funding between state authorities and Congress kept supplies from coming. Washington wrote in a letter, To see men without clothes, without blankets to lie upon, without shoes, without a house or hut to cover them until those would be built. And submitting without a murmur is a proof of patience and obedience which, in my opinion, can scarcely be paralleled. As winter roared in, soldiers quickly built crude shelters that offered a little protection against the weather. Some soldiers had no shirts, others had marched the shoes off their feet. At their guard posts, they stood on their hats to keep them from touching the freezing ground. One soldier wrote that getting food was business that usually employed us. During that terrible winter at Valley Forge, some 2,000 soldiers died. 
of disease and malnutrition. Amazingly, those who survived not only stayed, they drilled and marched to the orders of Baron von Steuben and became better soldiers. While the soldiers suffered through the winter at Valley Forge, the British lived a life of luxury in Philadelphia most of, and New York. Uh, most of the patriots had fled the city, leaving only loyalists and British soldiers in both New York and Philadelphia. Together, they enjoyed the city's houses, taverns, and theaters, and held parties and balls. The war at sea in the West. Hello. Uh, while some Americans struggled against the British on land in the former colonies, others fought at sea and on the Western frontier. Each area posed tough challenges. The war at sea. The entry of the French Navy into the war greatly aided the colonists. Many people had thought that the mighty British Navy would crush the much smaller American fleet. However, the British failed to use their powerful Navy effectively during the war. In the fall of 1775, the Continental Congress made plans to build four American warships. Soon afterward, the Congress formally established the Marines and the Continental Navy. By adapting merchant vessels, the Navy had eight fighting ships ready for combat by February of 1776. That month, the tiny American Navy launched a major offensive to damage the operating ability of the British fleet located off the Carolina coast. Rather than attack the fleet directly, the Patriots went after the British supply base on Nassau in the, Baham in the Bahamas. The American troops seized the main supply fort on the island. They then raised the newly created flag of the American Revolution over Nassau. The, after the campaign, the American Navy focused on seizing British supply ships and weakening Britain, Britain's naval forces in the West Indies. John Paul Jones. The Patriots owed much of their success on the seas to naval hero and outlaw John Paul Jones. Jones had once been considered an outlaw. He was born John Paul in Scotland and began working on ships at a young age. After accidentally killing the leader of a mutiny, he fled to America and added Jones to his last name. When the war broke out, Jones volunteered his services to the newly created Navy. He quickly established himself as a brave and clever soldier, sailor, excuse me. Considered a pirate by the British, Jones captured many British supply ships. The French greatly admired Jones. When France entered the war in 78, French leaders presented him with a small fleet of seven vessels to command. He named his flagship Bonhomme Richard, Gentleman Richard, in honor of BFF, Ben Franklin, and his poor Richard's Almanac journal. Among the Almanac's stories, jokes, and wise sayings were weather forecasts for the year and other practical scientific information. One of Jones's most famous victories was the capture of the British warship Serapis on September 23, 1779. Early in the battle, the British knocked out the heaviest artillery on the Bonhomme Richard. Captain Richard Pearson of the Serapis called out to Jones, Has your ship struck? Jones replied, I have not yet begun to fight. The battle continued for more than two hours. Finally, the Americans wore down the British who surrendered at 10.30 p.m. The Continental Navy used fewer than 100 ships over the course of the war, yet the British lost more than 200 ships to the small but effective American naval force.
War in the West. The lands west of the Appalachian Mountains were controlled by Native American nations. Both the British and the Patriots tried to enlist these groups in their cause. George Rogers Clark volunteered to lead the Western Campaign. Clark had been a surveyor along the Ohio and Kentucky rivers. By the time the war broke out, he knew the lands of the Ohio very well. Clark created an army from the scattered settlements in the area. One of the best known groups was the Overmountain Men, a band of settlers from present day Tennessee. Determined to weaken the British support systems, Clark targeted trading villages following the Ohio River to the Tennessee. Clark's force set out on a 120 mile overland trek to Kaskaskia in present day Illinois. The village's leaders learned of the attack and surrendered. Other patriots took Kahakia without a fight. In February 1779, Clark launched a surprise attack <coughs> on Fort Sackville near the town of Vincennes. The attack was unexpected because the nearby Wabash River was icy and flooded. Despite overflowing riverbanks, Clark's force of 150 men endured an 18-day march through freezing water. They also managed to bring enough Patriot flags from an army of hundreds. The flags were displayed near the, the fort, and the skilled pioneer sustained enough musket fire to indicate a much larger army. Falling for the ruse, the commander of, the fort, Zach, of fort Sackville surrendered. In general, the British were more successful at winning over the Native Americans, but Clark's ca uh, many campaigns undermined British support in the West. And that concludes our uh, segment of Module 4, Lesson 4. Stay tuned soon for Module 4, Lesson 5 on Victory and Independence.